Chronicles chapter 14. Second Chronicles chapter 14. If you need a Bible, there's some available just outside the door here. Ushers will certainly help you with that. And if you don't have one, please keep it and read it every day. We have been looking at the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, and today we come to the extended reign of Judah's third king, a fellow by the name of Asa. Now, what we saw was that Judah's first king was a guy named Rehoboam. He ruled for 17 years. Following him was a fellow by the name of Abijah, who ruled for three years. And so together those men served 20 years as the king of the southern kingdom. Today we're going to be introduced to a fellow by the name of Abijah, excuse me, Asa. And Asa will rule for a period of 41 years. So, 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 13, it'll say, And Asa slept with his fathers, dying in the 41st year of his reign. And they buried him in the tomb that he had cut for himself in the city of David. So his two predecessors, 20 years total, he, 41 years. So he doubles their time there. Now we have begun to accumulate a bunch of names in our studies. There will be a total of, I forget the number, 19 for Israel, 20 for Judah, or maybe it's vice versa. But there's a total of about 40 different kings of these two kingdoms. And so there's going to be a lot of names as we go. So I think it would be helpful if we sort of begin to go through some of these slides. So we have a slide here showing when the kingdom was united. uh, Go back one if you have one there. Solomon, can you go back? There, don't pretend you didn't see the other thing. Uh, So when Solomon was king, you can see the timeline. It's roughly 970 years before Christ, approximately, that he served as king. And when he died, the kingdom was divided. In the north, you had King Jeroboam. He leads what will be called Israel, and you can see his time there. And then in the south, you have this fellow by the name of King Rehoboam. The year that these two guys become king, the year that the kingdom of Israel is divided into these two kingdoms, you can see is the year 931. Okay. Now, as I just mentioned, upon the death of Jeroboam, we have a new king that comes in, is Abijah, and those two men, their kingdoms run concurrently. Uh, excuse me, with Rehoboam, I have it backwards, you get the idea, look at the slide, that's why I made it for you there. Um, and that brings us to where we left off last week. In First Chronicles 14.1, it says, Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David, and Asa his son reigned in his place. And in his days the land had rest for ten years. Now, we read about the account of this fella Asa in three chapters of Second Chronicles, chapters 14, 15, and 16. There's also about eight or ten verses that is found in 1 Kings 15. And whereas oftentimes going to the parallel passage of 1 Kings 15 gives us a little more insight, we don't really get much insight other different from what we have in First and Second Chronicles on the life of Asa. But Asa was a different sort of king. And if you look here, this is slide 9, if you look at Asa, you see that I've labeled him in a different color. And the reason why I've done that is because Asa, unlike his contemporaries and his predecessors, it is said of Asa that he did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Looking at some of his predecessors, 1 Kings 11 tells us that Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Jeroboam, 1 Kings 13, says, did not turn from his evil way. 2 Chronicles 12 tells us Rehoboam did evil because he did not set his heart to seek the Lord. And then we read last week about Abijah 
who walked in all of the sins of his fathers, as we learned this idea that he did not take his head knowledge down into his heart. Asa, though, on the other hand, was committed to the Lord. And he wanted to do that which was right in the sight of God. And so, as we'll see, he ruled for a period of 41 years as the king of Judah. And God blessed his reign. And during his reign, he would see the end of the northern king, Jeroboam, as well as five different predecess- or uh, five different other guys, I forget the word, uh, Nadab, two years as the king, Baasha, 24 years as the king, Elah, two years, a fellow named Zimri, who ruled for seven days uh, as the king of Israel. He didn't do too well. And then finally, Omri, for 12 years. And so those six kings, Jeroboam through Omri, they ruled during Asa's reign. Asa is one of only five of the 20 kings of Judah that would be called good in the summary verse of his life. All the other ones, they were referred to as being evil. And so look at 2 Chronicles 14.2. It says, Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and he broke down the pillars, and he cut down the asherim, and he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars, and the kingdom had rest under him. It continues, it says, He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord had given him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. And so they built and they prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin, that carried shields and drew bows, all these mighty men of valor. So please remember that uh, the kingdom of Israel has been divided into the two kingdoms. Ten tribes in the north, they go by the name of Israel. Two tribes in the south, Judah and Benjamin, and they take the name of the larger of the two tribes, Judah. So they become known as Judah. And here it says that Asa was able to build from those two tribes an army consisting of 300,000 from Judah, 280,000 from Benjamin. Half a million and more uh, army that he is able to gather here. Asa is what is known as a reformer king in the nation of Israel, or Judah in this case. As a reformer king, as I said, only five of them uh, in the history of the nation. As a reformer king, he's a king who came to be a leader during a time of spiritual and moral decay in the nation. And he's a king who, during that period of moral and spiritual decay, he introduced or infuse the nation with spiritual reform. So I think he's a valuable lesson for us to look at. Because I, I don't know, if, you, if you're like me, you know that we live in a nation, clearly we live in a world that is marked with spiritual and moral decay. Consider the, thing, the way that our society has gone in the last 20 years, 30 years. I cannot imagine what some of you that are a little bit older, 60s, 70s, and you, maybe you grew up in the 30s and the 40s and the 50s, I cannot imagine what goes through your mind when you consider what life was like in the United States and what life is like today. Even just looking back over my life, and I'm a young guy, I'm 25, so a young fella, you know, and I look back over my life, but I think about what things were like in the 80s 
And you say, hey, I know what they were like in the 80s. I know that. But the, the general overall feel of things has just changed. We're going to talk a little bit later. Isaiah said that the society went to the place where that which was good became evil. And that which used to be, everybody agreed, was evil has become good. And I, I think that could become the banner verse of our nation. It's remarkable. And so we are a people that are faced with a nation that needs moral and spiritual reform. And I think there are some valuable lessons that we can learn from this man Asa and the life in which he lived. One of the things, uh, this idea of moral and spiritual reform being introduced back into a nation and the resultant peace and rest that comes from that, that I just read about here, that's actually a theme of the books of First and Second Chronicles. Remember, when the book was written, it was somewhere around 480 or so B.C. Remember, we just saw on the, the calendar there, Asa ruled roughly around the year 900 B.C. So this book is written 500 years, 400 some years after that time. And it was written when the nation of Israel was returning from Babylonian captivity. They had been judged by the Lord through the uh, use of the enemy Babylon because of their sin. They were brought out of the land for a period of 70 years, but now they're coming back to the land. They had repented of their sin, and now they're coming back into the land. And so the writer, they believe Ezra, is saying, look, this is what you need to know. You're coming back into the land. Don't make the same mistakes your fathers made. When your fathers ran after evil, there was difficulty and there was struggle. But when they reformed themselves and they committed themselves back into the Lord, God blessed them with a period of peace and ease and rest. And that same thing can be true for you, is what the writer is saying to the people that would be reading it in his particular day. You may recall that the Jewish heritage was based on the promise to Moses in what we call the Mosaic Covenant. And as we saw before, Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 28, if you faithfully obey the voice of the Lord your God, being careful to do all that he has commanded you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. And all of these blessings shall come upon you, and they shall overtake you if you obey the Lord, the voice of the Lord your God. Now the passage, it's very important to note, it goes on to say, 10, 15 verses later, he says, but if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, or be careful to do his commandments and his statutes that I command you today, then all of these curses will come upon you. The Lord will bring you and your king, whom you have set, who have, you have set over you, to a nation that neither you nor your fathers have known, and you shall become a byword among all the people where the Lord will lead you. That's the Assyrian captivity and the Babylonian captivity. The people were led astray. An enemy nation came in, defeated the king, and brought the people astray, just as Moses said was going to happen. Now you could summarize the Mosaic Law, which is basically chapter 28 of the book of Deuteronomy. You could summarize it by saying, do these things and you'll be blessed. Do these things and you will be cursed. And that's the theme of the book of First and Second Chronicles. That's what Ezra is trying to point out. Every time the nation abandoned the instructions of Moses, they experienced cursing. They'd be attacked by their enemies. Their crops would yield uh, little to no harvest. They would be struck by diseases. All the things that Moses said were going to happen. But what we also see that Ezra shows that every time the nation returns to the instructions of Moses, they experience blessing. 
Let me read quickly to you Deuteronomy 28. It says this. And I, you can turn there if you want to. It's not going to be on the screen, I don't think. It says, Blessed shall you be in the city. Blessed shall you be in the field. Blessed shall be the fruit of your womb and the fruit of your cattle, the increase of your herds and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you when you come in and when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you and your barns and in all that you undertake. And he will bless you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a people separated unto himself just as he has sworn to you if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in all of his ways. And all of the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the fruit of your livestock and in the fruit of your ground within the land the Lord swore to your fathers to give unto you. The Lord will open to you his good treasuries, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. And you shall lend to many nations, but not need to borrow. And the Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall go up and not down, if you obey the commandments of the Lord, which I command you today, being careful to do them. And if you do not turn aside from any of the words that I command you today, to the right or to the left, and to go after other gods to serve them. If you had to choose a word or a few words that sort of summarize, what's, that, what's those 15 verses about? The words you would choose would be words like peace and rest and ease or blessing. And that's exactly what we read about is going to happen under the leadership, just like God said, under the leadership of Asa. So going back to Second Chronicles, starting in verse 3, it says, Asa did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord, He took away the foreign altars and the high places. He broke down the pillars. He cut down the ashram. And he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, to keep the law and the commandment. He also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars. And notice these key words that I mentioned. And the kingdom had rest under him. He built fortified cities in Judah for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord had given him peace. And he said to Judah, let's build cities, surround them with walls. The land is ours. The Lord has given it to us. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. And so they built, and so they prospered. God was saying to his people, trust me, do these things, and you'll be far happier, far peaceful, and far settled if you do. And Asa, through his reforms, he's proving God's word to be true. The very things that God had said through Moses are coming to uh, to fruition here in 2 Chronicles. So I think there's four things that we can learn from Asa that I'd like to draw your attention to. Number one is based on verse 3 of chapter 14, and that is that Asa believed what God said was true. Asa determined in his mind, this is truth. There may be a time I come and I wrestle with that truth where I'm not sure that it's true, but it is true. And I'll deal with my wrestling later. I'm not going to come to it, and I'm not going to say, well, I wonder, is that really me? And kind of this. I'm just going to say, Lord, I'm doubting you, but I know you're true. So Asa believed that what God said was true. God said to do these things, so that's what we're going to do, he said, as king. Secondly, notice it says that Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. If Asa had done that which was good and right in the eyes of his ancestors, 
than he would have worshipped foreign gods. If he had done that which was good and right in the eyes of his contemporaries, King Jeroboam, for instance, to the north, then he would have worshipped the foreign gods. And he would have never, and the nation would have never experienced the peace and the rest and the blessing that God had promised to the nation of Israel that sought after him. And so for us, a lesson that we can learn here is that we need to be careful who we are seeking to follow and who we are seeking to please. In the world in which Asa lived, and the world in which we live, that which is good and right in our society is oftentimes not that which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. And so we need to make a determination here, who is it that I am seeking to please? Who is it I am seeking to follow? Because very likely, in a decision to follow the Lord, that will put you in opposition with your contemporaries. And it will put you in opposition to your ancestors that have come before you, your family and so on, that have come before you. Again, as I quoted earlier, the prophet Isaiah spoke of a day when society would call those things that God would call good, that the society would call them evil. And those things that God has always considered evil, they would refer to as good. Isaiah 5. It's a world that was upside down. It was a world that was backwards. And I think it defines the world in which we live. Everyone is going to do that which is good and right in the eyes of something or someone. And we need to make a determination. If you want to be labeled among a reformer king, so to speak, if you want to learn the lesson of Asa, then you need to be sure that you're doing that which is good and right in the eyes of the Lord. Challenging in our day, certainly, because you take a stand for the Lord, and suddenly you are a, you can throw the names out there, you become a bigot. Suddenly you become a hater. You're a hate monger. You're all these other things that are out there. Just by simply taking the stand for that which generations have taken a stand for thousands of years. And certainly in the history of our nation, the last hundred or so years. Well, thirdly, Asa separated himself from the sinful ways that came before him and were all around him. And so we said a couple things already about Asa. We said he believed what God said was true. He said that he did that which was right in the eyes of the Lord. And now thirdly, he separated himself from the sinful ways that came before him and were all around him. And so we think of his great-grandfather. Again, Asa's great-grandfather was Solomon, who introduced idolatry into the nation. We look at his grandfather, Rehoboam, who did evil, as did his father Abijah, the Scripture says. A little bit later in chapter 15, when we read that, we'll read that his mom brought the idols and the Asherim pole, the Asherim pole, right into the palace there. The queen mother was worshiping idols right there in the palace of the king. And he has to deal with that. We read about his contemporary, King Jeroboam, who it says was a wicked king that refused to turn from his evil ways. These are the people that have come before him. These are his contemporaries. Everywhere he looked, sin, idolatry, evil, was everywhere Asa turned. And yet... He refused to let it turn him. We live in a sinful world. I'm not saying that we should separate from everything in the world and never have interactions with people that don't know the name of the Lord. But everywhere he turned, he refused to let sin turn him. And that has to be a determination of our hearts, is that we will refuse to let sin turn us. Rehoboam, we learned in chapter 12, did not set his heart to seek the Lord. Asa did. We learned Abijah never let the theology get from his head down into his heart. We see that Asa did. 
Asa's mom worshipped idols, Asa refused to, destroyed the idols, and had his mother put out of the king's palace. He was determined to stand against the tide of his culture and follow the Lord. He refused to go with the flow. And instead, this is what's awesome about Asa, instead he changed the flow for his nation, which I love. Some kid I, I used to teach at school, uh, we had a prayer group over there, and one day the kid said something that was really profound. He said something about, and hopefully I'll get it correctly here, he said, you know, we could either be thermometers or we could be thermostats. Have you heard this, or did this kid make this up? Right. Do you have any idea what I'm referring to? Okay. Uh, the idea of a thermometer, it simply just reads the air. But a thermostat determines the temperature of the air. And I appreciate that very much. And I, you look at Asa here, and this is like a 15-year-old kid. I, I, that kid's pretty smart. But you think about that. Asa determined he wasn't going to be turned, and he was going to change the flow of the tide of his culture and his society. And I think that brings me to the last point on Asa. We've got a lot more to do. So this isn't the last point altogether. The last point here on Asa, and that is that he did what he could within his sphere of influence. Look at verses 3 through 5. It says, He took away the foreign altars and the high places, and he broke down the pillars, and he cut down the ashram, and he commanded Judah, he's the king, he commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to keep the law and the commandment. And he also took out of all the cities of Judah the high places and the incense altars. Now, if you skip up to chapter 15, verse 17, what you'll notice there, it says that the high places were not removed from Israel. Now you might think, oh, geez, Asa, come on. How could you not do that? How could you not remove them from Israel here? Well, remember, the answer is that he is the king of Judah. He's not the king of Israel. Remember the divided kingdom here. And so I think what it says to us here is that Asa did what he could in his sphere of influence. If he was the king of Israel, no doubt he would have removed the high places from, from there as well. But he wasn't the king of Israel. He was the king of Judah, and within his sphere of influence, he did what he's could. he could. No doubt many of you, you look at your children's schools, you look at the sports teams or the clubs that they're involved in, and there's a level of shock at the sort of things that go on in your fifth grade kid's class, or even younger, or certainly a little bit older. No doubt the moral condition of your kid's school or peers concerns you. I'm shocked, sitting at a baseball game, watching my 12-year-old, the types of things that I'm seeing, you know, some of the older kids that are just hanging around at the field, the things that they're saying and talking about. It's shocking. And somebody, where's your mom? Where's your dad? Come over here, I want to talk to you. You know what I mean? This sort of thing. But it's relatively the norm. Now, I may not be able to alter in any great way what goes on at my kids' schools or at, at the local schools or at their clubs or at their sports teams. I may not be able to alter it. But I can influence my kids, and I can influence my children's friends. One of the reasons why I, I still, I don't have time, but I do it, but I coach my kids' sports teams is because that allows me to have the opportunity to be an influence over that group of 15 or 20 kids. I took over a, a team that Jeff Simpson used to coach before he and his family moved over to Africa. And I didn't want to, but I said, I'll hold it for one year, Jeff. And then he stood me up. And now I'm stuck. <laughs> I got this team again there. But Jeff started coaching that group of kids when they were about eight years old. Now I think they're about 12 or so. And we had some new kids come to the team this year. And kid came out, and he's seventh, eighth grade or whatever, and messed up, and he, he cursed. One of the kids on the team said, oh, no, 
we don't curse on this team. Coach doesn't allow it. And, he, and I don't allow it, but he wasn't referring to me. He was speaking of the pattern that Coach Jeff established along the way. And it's a very different environment. I'm so glad that I can be a part of it. And as Jeff did, influence my sphere of influence. And I may not be able to change the entire school system or what is going on throughout our community, but I can have an effect on my sphere of influence. That's why I appreciate the weeks and their involvement with the young life that's looking to form in the Lawrence schools because they're looking to influence their children and their children's peers. No doubt many of you have experienced the world of business and you know that it can be an unchristian environment. And you may not be able to change the way in which the entire business world works, but you can impact the way in which your sphere of influence looks. Asa was not deterred. He was not overwhelmed by the magnitude of the, the task. And essentially, he simply determined, you know, well, what can I do? I can't do everything, but what can I do to impact this world for the Lord? And I think it's because of that attitude that Asa becomes a reformer. It's because of that simple attitude, all right, Lord, use me. In some way or another, look, you've given me some influence over some people. What can I do? And Asa believed that what God said was true. Asa did that which was good in the right of the eyes of God. Asa stood against the tide, and he followed the Lord. And Asa did what he could within his sphere of influence. And he became a reformer king. And each of us, we can become reformers in the area in which God has placed us by doing those same types of things. Now, we might be tempted to think that if a person makes a commitment like that, everything in their life is then going to go rosy. God is obligated right, to, to make sure everything works out just as it should, because I made such a commitment to you, Lord, you owe me. Well, surely uh, it doesn't always work that way. Everything doesn't go as you and I necessarily have planned or would like. Now, certainly it goes according to plan. It's just not your plan usually. It's God's plan. And God here has a plan. Look at verse 9. It says, Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots, and he came as far as Marishal. Here's Asa, completely committed to the Lord, making sure that everybody within his sphere of influence is committed to the Lord. They're going to do things the right way. And despite all of that, an enemy nation comes against him. A million men come against him. Notice the city. It says that they come as far as Marishal. Now, Marishal is just, it's in Judah. It's a little bit south. It's about 25 miles away from the capital city of Jerusalem. Imagine if on the news, you come out of here, you turn on the radio, and every radio station, every television station, when you get home, is explaining to you that 25 miles away from Ewing Township, New Jersey, an enemy army of a million men has massed, and they are staging, ready to attack Ewing. You'd freak. You'd be totally scared. You'd be getting in the car. You'd be running you know, for the hills somewhere to hide from this million-man army that is gathered against you here. And so that's exactly what's taking place here. Here's Asa. The reports are coming in. A million men have gathered. And they're getting ready to come and attack. And look at verse 10. It says, so Asa, the king, he goes out to meet them. Rather than waiting for the battle to come to him, he goes out and he meets the battle. I appreciate his leadership in this regard. He goes out, he meets them. He draws up the lines of battle in the valley of Zephathah at Mirashah. And Asa cries to the Lord his God. And he says, O Lord, there's none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord, our God, for we rely on you. And in your name we have come against this multitude, O Lord. You are our God. 
let not man prevail against you. What a sweet, honest prayer of dependence that he prays. Isn't that amazing? Lord, help, please. And the Lord heard his prayer. It says in verse 12, So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Just like it said back in Deuteronomy chapter 28. They'll come in one way, they'll flee seven ways. Asa and the people who were with him pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive, for they were broken before the Lord and his army. Then men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was much plunder in them, and they struck down the tents of those who had livestock and carried away sheep in abundance and camels, and then they returned back to Jerusalem. God has given them victory. Chapter 15 says that when Asa returns from this battle, long day, as you can imagine, an emotional day, uh, probably more than one day even, and he comes back, I don't know where exactly, but he comes back to the palace, and waiting for them there, him there is a prophet. It says that it's a man by the name of Azariah. Let's read verses 1-7. through seven. It says, Now the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, as, and he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, and they were without a teaching priest and without the law. But when in their distress they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and they sought him, he was found by them. In those times there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in, for great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you, take courage, and do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Azariah is a name that is very common in in Hebrew. It's as common as in the United States, the name Smith or Jones. Um, I, I heard recently that in the phone book, I don't even know if they make those anymore, but out in L.A., uh, the most common name in L.A., anybody know? Rodriguez. is uh, like pages and pages. So this name Azariah is as common as Rodriguez or Smith or Jones or something like that. Uh, everybody, it seems, was named Azariah. There's 24 different people in the Scripture that, are you, that name refers to them as a different person um, there. Some were kings. We have kings named Azariah. Some were the high priest of the land. Uh, or other key officials in the land. And here we have this high Azariah, the son of Oded. He was a prophet. Or at the very least, he prophesied in this instance. This is the only account we have of this fella Azariah. And it says that the Spirit of God came upon him. And when the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, he prompted Azariah to go and speak to King Asa. He compelled Azariah. As the Spirit of God came upon him, I could do nothing else. This is what I have to do. And so he goes to King Asa, and God says to him, I want you to tell Asa, be with God, and and God will be with you. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a strange message to give to Asa. Because we just saw that Asa was with God. 
And I wonder if Azariah actually thought something to the effect of God. He knows that. Didn't you just hear what he prayed when Zerah came out against him? Remember the prayer in verse 11? O Lord, there's none like you to help. Between the mighty and the weak, help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you. Asa already knows that, God. Surely this message must be for someone else. But God says, no, I want you to go tell Asa. And so Azariah obeys. He shows up at the king's palace or wherever it is that he met him. And he brings the message to the king. And I think there are two valuable lessons here as well for us. We've already looked at the example of Asa. But here are two valuable lessons, I think. Number one is that Asa, like us, needs to be warned during our times of victory. You see, oftentimes during our times of victory, we get soft. We kind of, life goes a little bit easy. You know, I don't really need God as much. And so Asa here is fresh off of this victory, and the prophet comes to, re, to remind him, if you will, and it's been said, you are never more vulnerable than fresh off of a victory. And so the need for the warning during that time. And the second thing is this, is that God never warns us for no reason. If God is warning us, take heed unto those warnings. Asa was king for 41 years. We learned that during those first 10 years of his kingdom, great peace in the nation. And he used his time wisely. It was a period of peace, it was a period of rest, and he prepared the kingdom from, for attack, fortifying the cities and, and so on, the things that we had read earlier. is a lesson there for us as well. Sometimes life is going smooth and wonderful. What do you do during those times? Great. I'll sit around and watch TV. You know, great. I'll sit around and I'll, I'll do this and I'll do that. And, or do you say, you know what, I got the time on my hand. I'm going to invest. I'm going to prepare myself. I'm going to grow. I'm going to be ready because inevitably the challenges are going to come. The challenges came in Asa's life and he was ready for them. But God never warns us for no reason. Interesting, as you're going to see next week, the very warnings that the prophet Azariah is going to come and bring to Asa will be the exact temptations that Asa will deal with 20 years down the road. 20 years away. And so we learn these lessons and we kind of take those warnings that God gave us and you sort of put them in your pocket and you say, all right, Lord, I'm going to hold on to that. And I'm going to keep my eyes open and I'm going to be ready. The Lord is gracious to send uh, to Asa this prophet. And again, the prophet's words could be summed, the Lord is with you while you are with him. And so then finally in verse 8 and following it says, As soon as Asa heard these words, the prophecy of Azariah the son of Oded, he took courage, and he put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from the cities that he had taken in the hill country of Ephraim, and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord, and he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh, and Simeon, remember the northern tribes, who were residing with them because great numbers had deserted to him from Israel. And when they saw that the Lord his God was with him, they were gathered at Jerusalem in the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen, 7,000 sheep. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all of their heart and with all of their soul. And the passage goes on and explains uh, what that all looked like. So Asa obeys and he commits himself and his nation even more wholeheartedly 
than he had committed himself previously. And God blessed the nation abundantly because of it. So the question then, I think for us as we leave today, is what can you do in your sphere of influence? Do you trust and live out the word of God? Asa did. Are you committed to do that which is good and right in God's eyes and not necessarily the world? That's the key to being a reformer of your culture. Are you willing to stand against the tide of generations past and your contemporaries? And believe me, many of us, and you may not know, but I talk to a lot of people here at the church, many of us are coming from backgrounds that are a little crazy. You know, the the whole Jerry Springer TV shows that we talked about? Many of us are coming out of things, patterns of life, that have gone on for generations before us. So-and-so, my mom did this, my dad did this, it was crazy there, and so on. And you might look at that and you might like, there's no hope for me. That's, that, my family's always been like that. Not the case. Not the case at all. When, when you are in Christ, the Scripture says you are a new creation. Born again anew. And you start the new generation, so to speak. And you determine what that future is going to look like. You don't have to look to your past and think that you are chained to that past here, you can change the tide, so to speak, and establish something new. And I think it's glorious. And then finally, do what you can do in your sphere of influence. Be an Asa, someone you can learn from. So far we've learned a lot of lessons not to do. Jeroboam, Rehoboam, Abijah. Asa is someone you can learn what to do. Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you. Lord, we can look at our world, our society. Lord, we can think of uh, what it's like at work or at the ball field or in our schools that we attend and, and think there's just so much. I'll just put my head down, I'll be quiet, I won't bother anyone, and I'll get out of here. And yet, I don't believe that's what you would have for us. And I think your word teaches us that you've placed us in certain places so that we might uh, be a positive influence for good. Like a city that is put on a hill or a light, you don't put it under a basket, you put it up on top of that basket that it might give off light. And so, Father, Lord, would you challenge us in a fresh way to do what we can in the place that you've placed us, Lord, to commit ourselves in a fresh way to the truth of your word, to set our hearts on pleasing God as opposed to those that are around us, Lord, to a, a new and fresh commitment to the truth that anyone in Christ is a new creation that the old has passed away, that all things are becoming new. And Father, would that I just pray that, uh, just like Asa, when uh, the prophet came to him, he just committed himself in a greater way to that truth. He, he strengthened himself with that reality. Lord, would you do that in each of our hearts today? Father, cause us to be a blessing to all we encounter, we ask in Jesus' name.